Welcome to the Whole Life Healing Podcast with Dr. Alexander Lloyd, best-selling author and founder of the Revolutionary Healing Codes Technique. Each week, Dr. Alex shares principles and methods from psychology, energy medicine, natural medicine, and spirituality to help you reduce stress, heal emotional and physical issues, and remove the barriers that hold you back from happiness and success. Join us as we learn to live our happiest, healthiest, and most successful lives. Here's Dr. Alex. Hi, Dr. Alex here. If you like the show today or any day, I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi. I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd, and welcome to the new Jesus. Um, here's our um, postulate, our distilled truth for this week. Beliefs rule actions. If our conscious will cannot change them, how can we change ourselves? By aligning ourselves with another belief deeper and stronger than what mistakes and misfortune have inflicted on us. Okay, let me read it one more time. Our beliefs rule our actions. If our conscious mind and will cannot change those beliefs, how can we change ourselves? By aligning ourselves with another belief, a positive one, that is deeper and stronger than what the mistakes and misfortune of our life have filled us up with. In other words, that devolution of our memories that's happened over millennium that's gotten us to the place where about 50% of what we believe about our life is simply not true, okay? Um, so welcome, welcome this week uh, to the new Jesus. Let's pull the board over, review just a minute. And I hope it is just a minute, all right? Uh, don't forget about that minus 10 to plus 10. Where you are internally is kind of what determines your hormones, your chemicals, your thoughts, feelings, uh, actions, habits, addictions, whether you feel good, whether you feel bad, whether it's a good day or a bad day. Um, this kind of affects all of that. And uh, sometime soon, I'm gonna kind of do a review of all the interventions we've talked about and all of the diagnostics we've talked about, but not today. Uh, you can find that if you go back and, and review some. But anyway, uh, here's what we talked about last week. Uh, we talked about the failure mechanism and the success mechanism that if you're 
responding or reacting in a way that you don't like, meaning not able to do what you want to do and continually doing what you don't want to do, first of all, that's pretty normal. Paul said that about himself. But if that's happening, you can pretty much be guaranteed that you have uh, trauma, sin, negative, unhealthy memories, which I call the red memories, in your heart. Okay, And when an event happens in our life, it is encoded into images, no matter which of the senses it comes through, and it's, and it's kept in, in, uh, in images so that it can respond instantly when something happens out here. But depending on whether that is a positive, whether a positive or a negative memory is associated with what's happening, we either react or respond. If we react, it's stimulus response, okay? Put your hand on a hot stove, take it off. Pain, pleasure, all right? If you respond, that's different. That means, okay, this is happening in my life. What would be the best thing for me to do in this situation, all right? But you can't do that if typically, if one of these red memories is being activated, then you will react. In, in a negative way and almost not be able to know you're going to do it until you've already done it, okay? Uh, so we talked about that. Um, we talked about uh, love A, life A, and life B more than we ever have and how uh, if we're choosing life A, which is seek pleasure, avoid pain, if this is how we evaluate the success or lack of success in our life, then we're stuck in pain pleasure, which means uh, these red memories are ruling your life. Even if you don't know what they are, which is what typically happens 90 plus percent of the time based on the research. However, if you evaluate your life by these, then typically you can be on the high road over here in positive uh, internal state and positive thoughts, emotions, chemicals, all of that, all right? So um, that's kind of the review. And uh, the most important thing I think that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks is that four uh, step list that, okay, this needs to be how you de decide to live your life if you wanna live it in the way that we're talking about it and get close to your best life possible. And that's number one, be right with Jesus, Lord and Savior, Son of God, committed to Him, all that. Uh, so number one, right with Jesus. Number two, your intention is only for good. When you wake up, when you go to bed, and everything that happens in between, okay? You're gonna have to train yourself to that because it doesn't come natural for most of us, but your intention only for good. Number three, do your absolute best at whatever you do, not just something that'll get by, all right? And lastly, help as many people as you can. Invest in relationships every day, uh, and those will become like gold to you, to your health, your success, to how you feel, everything. The more of those love-based relationships you have in your heart, which is where they reside, the better everything goes. The less stress, the more positive your energy, etc.
Okay, so that's the uh, review for this week. And voila, can you believe it? <laughs> uh, my son said, Dad, you're putting way too much stuff on the board. It's confusing, it's hard to read, whatever. And he's exactly right. So anyway, um, kind, of, kind of one of the main things we talked about last week was this little key and string exercise that uh, is not original with me, but I've been doing it for over 30 years with basically the same result. Well, at the end of today, I'm gonna tell you something that has happened since I did the teaching last week. In the last week, something unbelievable has happened with this key and string thing that I'm gonna tell you at the end. And, and you need to know this because it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I can't believe it. It, it it's a game changer, all right? So we'll get to that in a little bit, all right? But, but first of all, the battle is for your heart. That is everything that we're talking about from the first new Jesus till today, till whenever God tells me to stop doing this, okay? The battle is for your heart and the battle belongs to the Lord, not to you, right? That's a scripture. It's not your job to win the battle. It's your job to give the battle to the Lord. And the battle is the Lord's. And the battle is for your heart. Now, what's your heart? We, I mean, all of us have heard these things all our life. Spirit, soul, body, mind, heart. So what's the heart? Well, let, let me back into that. For the last uh, 25, 30 years, and my mentor taught me this years ago, and he had the same experience for 40, 50 years of his life, okay? But for the last 25 or so years, I've been asking people, what is the spirit? And they'll think and say, um, kind of the inner man. All right, what's the soul? Uh the inner man. What's the mind? Um, the inner man? Heart? Uh, I, I don't know. Inner man? <laughs> okay. Uh, is that consistent with you? Or, or do you have very specific differences? I, didn't, I left out body. But, but between these four, spirit, soul, heart, mind, do you have a different definition for each of these? Or are they kind of the same, or are you just sort of confused, as I was uh, for decades of my life? Well, let's take a look at that for a second. Leviticus 17 says the life of the soul is in the blood. Okay? Well, blood is body. That's, that's physical. That's flesh, bone, blood, tissue. That's flesh. All right? So the life of the soul is in the flesh, okay? The soul, the container for the soul is the body, all right? The heart, um, when, I, when I first started in psychology, psychology 101, and of course, they started describing the unconscious mind, the subconscious mind, ancestry, 
all of that. And it was like this giant light bulb lit up when they were talking about the heart because I thought, oh, that's what science and psychology call the unconscious, the subconscious, your ancestry, whatever, the stuff that by and large we don't know about, all right? Biblically, that's the heart, and there's more passages on the heart than the spirit, soul, mind combined. And according to scholars, when in most translations, when the Bible says mind, it really doesn't mean what we think of today as mind. It really is talking about heart, that part of us that's largely unconscious. The mind, biblically, is more conscious mind, will, and emotions. Okay? All right? But when it talks about in Scripture, it's typically the unconscious. There really aren't verses in scripture talking about these things as far as the conscious mind. It's typically subconscious, unconscious, generational. So the heart is the container for the spirit. Our spirit is in the heart. The spirit of God is in the heart. Our conscience is in the heart. In fact, in Romans 1, it's called the law that's written on the heart. All right. So, the soul is contained by the body, the spirit is in the heart along with the spirit of God, along with our conscience, and our mind is our conscious mind, will, and emotion that is more connected to the soul and body. Now, it's connected to the heart through the corpus callosum in the brain. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, okay? But there is a distinction, I believe, and I believe scripture says between spirit, soul, body, mind, heart, and it can be helpful to know the difference, the definitions. Okay, now let's go to some amazing research. In 1972, Roger Sperry won the Nobel Prize for split brain research. He was really the first person who'd ever done anything like this, and pretty much no one has since because they made it illegal to do what Dr. Sperry did. Uh, I don't think because he did anything bad, it was just, you know, lawsuits and legal stuff. That tends to be the way these days that things get changed, all right? But here's what he did that was really groundbreaking in 1972. Now, you've all heard about left-right brain stuff today, but in 72, this was brand new. So here's what happened. Uh, he had a group of patients who were epileptic. And they weren't just epileptic, they were in the top 1% of epileptic, meaning that they were having continual epileptic storm seizures in their brain. And an epileptic storm seizure is when a kind of big ball of, of powerful active energy is going from left brain to right brain, right brain to left brain, right left brain to right brain, right brain to left brain, just back and forth, back and forth, back, back and forth, and the person goes into a seizure. Well, his patients, uh, that, that happens with anyone who's epileptic, you know, once in a while, but these patients were having these storm seizures every day, day in, day out, to the point that 
They were constantly throwing up, that they could not eat anything anymore, that they were developing ulcers, and some of them may be even the start of, of cancer of the esophagus from all the throwing up and everything. They could not sleep. Um, they couldn't eat. They couldn't work. Uh, some of them felt like they were dying. Others felt like they were just kind of, you know, stuck in a vice grip and there's nothing they can do. They've just got to hang on every day and, you know, be miserable. So, uh, Dr. Sperry, trying to save their life and then beyond saving their life, hoping they could have some semblance of a life, because they sure didn't have much of that now, um, he severed the corpus callosum, or callosum, uh, forget which way that's pronounced, uh, but the connective tissue that joins left and right brain, all right? He cut it. Well, why would he do that? Because those storm seizures were going back and forth, and, and the bridge from left to right brain or right to left brain is the corpus callosum. So if you, if you take the bridge down, they can't go back and forth anymore. So the seizures stopped. So what he was trying to do was successful, and, and the seizures stopped, and then uh, they started dealing with the patients to teach them how to live their life without the connection from left-right brain, which was certainly a challenge. They had, it's not like learning to walk again, but it's kind of similar to that in a different way, all right? And, and once, once he had successfully done the surgeries and their seizures had stopped, he, he, he had a thought that I think most scientists would have, and it's, huh, you know what? I've got a group of people here that has never existed in the world before. I've got a group of people who have no connection between left and right brain. I wonder if we can discover some things by studying these people that could enhance the life of a lot of people or maybe everyone, okay? So he, he did. And one of, the, one of the experiments he did is he would have them walk up and, uh, and uh, sit down at a table. And they were very hungry. I guess he hadn't fed them in a while. But anyway, they were hungry, and they come up to a table, and there's all sorts of utensils and objects on the table. All right? And he would have them uh, cover up their left eye. Left eye goes to right brain. Right brain controls left side of the body. Left brain controls right side of the body, okay? So he would have them cover up their left eye, which cuts off all information from the right brain. And because their corpus callosum is severed, their left brain can't get information from the right brain either, okay? So the only information they have access to is left brain, all right? cover up the left, bri left eye, only have access to left brain. Okay, so they did that and then looked down at the table and the only thing they could do is say the word spoon. Spoon. They didn't know what the spoon was. They couldn't pick it up. 
They didn't know how to use it to eat the soup. All they could do was spoon, right? Then, same person, had them cover up right eye, which cuts off information from left brain, but has full information from right brain, okay? And so what happened? They cover up the right eye, and they don't know the word for any of this stuff, but they pick up the spoon and start eating the soup. Okay, so what's the conclusion? What, do we, what can we draw from that? That strictly from left brain comes words. Period. From right brain comes meaning, wisdom, and action, okay? Uh, and connected to the right brain are the, um, the hippocampus, the reticular formation, uh, mechanisms in the brain that we would identify as part of the process for wisdom and action. Okay, an appropriate, uh, whatever, doing the appropriate thing. Okay, so he won the Nobel Prize for that, for saying from right brain comes meaning, wisdom, action, left brain, words only. Okay, well I believe that by and large what Dr. Sperry discovered is the biblical spiritual heart that it is the right brain and the things that the right brain are connected to. Now, it cooperates with the left brain, but the left brain pretty much just is conscious thinking. I would, I would identify left brain with soul, body, and conscious mind. Right brain with heart and spirit. Okay? So, that's some of the differences I see um, in these things and the distinctions, okay? Now, the heart controls everything. And that's what we, that's what I tried to illustrate last week with the key and string, okay? The heart controls everything, but love can control the heart. Okay. Um, I love movies. And, and plays. Always have. I, I'm, I'm dyslexic. I'm very visual. Um, I can manipulate 3D things in my head and, and, and stuff like that. And, and that's people like that are more attracted to, toward movies, music, uh, things like that. Artistic, right brain kind of stuff. Left brain is more like McDonald's. It's linear. Okay, I'll take a number one with a Coke. And so the McDonald's employee, okay, hamburger, medium fry, Coke, there you go, there's number one. That's left brain, linear. Right brain is spatial, out of the box. Anything's possible, anything goes, okay, um, etc. There's two words in German for the image maker or imagination. One means to daydream, the other means to create, okay? And I'm suggesting today that you can use that creative aspect to heal your life, change your heart, etc. Uh, but anyway, um, a movie I like is called Meet Joe Black with Anthony Hopkins and um, Brad Pitt. 
Really cool movie. Didn't get great ratings, but I loved it. And in and, and one place in the movie, this character named Quince is talking about how he loves his wife and his wife loves him. And Brad Pitt is asking him questions about that. And Brad Pitt says, how do you know she loves you? How do you know? How do you know? And what Quint said was very interesting to me. He said, because she knows the worst thing about me and it's okay. Now that's a nice thought, isn't it? Really is, really is. And I think about me and hope. But I also think that that may not be entirely true. Uh, I mean, sounds great in the movie, but does she really know everything about him? Okay, uh, there, there was a study done that found that 75, over 75% of all women have a secret. And it's a secret they have never told a living soul and they never will. Why? Shame. They're ashamed of it or embarrassed or think if I were to share this, people would think less of me or, or something like that, okay? And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about a new study that came out that said if, set, if people had to either say out loud every thought they have in truth or lie about the thought they have, that over 75% of the time people would lie. And the reasons were the same, because of shame or embarrassment or that people wouldn't like them as much. So I, I wonder, is that really true that Quince's wife knew everything about him? Now, I know that's just a movie, but hypothetically, I doubt that's true, okay? But the incredible thing to me is it is true with God. Scripture says, God knows me to the point that he has numbered the hairs on my head. And that is metaphorical for knowing everything. God looks at the heart. God judges the heart. God wants the heart. He reads the heart in order to determine the intention of your heart. We've talked about that before. Um, Gandhi, who's one of my favorite people historically, incredible man. I think he had a fabulous heart. Uh, Gandhi said one time, you know, I've thought many times about converting to Christianity, becoming a Christian myself. He said this publicly in an interview, and he said he'd read the Bible and New, New Testament many times. So they asked him, wow, well, why haven't you converted to Christianity? You know what he said? I've never seen one. And I could say that exact same thing growing up, even about my mom and dad. I've never seen one. I saw them do sin. I saw them do things that were wrong, all right? The problem, I think, is what Gandhi is judging. Gandhi is judging the mind, the spirit, the soul, the body. He's judging actions because he can't know the intent of their heart. They may not even know that, but even if they do, God's the only other one, and you can't know their intent unless you ask them. So I believe what Gandhi was talking about was your actions. 
And that's where he was wrong, okay? Because scripturally, at least in the New Covenant, it's not about actions. It's about the intention of the heart. And so, if Gandhi knew that, then he could look at a hundred people who said they were Christians and still believe that a hundred of them could be doing it right. Because it's not about the actions, it's about the intention, and maybe their intention is for nothing but good. They're committed to Jesus, no, intention for nothing but good, do their absolute best, and help as many as they can. They can have all four of those, and Gandhi still miss the fact that it's all about the heart, not the action, and they are right with God, which he was indicating with that statement, I believe, that they weren't. Okay, so I think that's really important because the only worldview I could find that was all about the heart was the scripture, the Bible, uh, being a follower of Jesus, etc. The kingdom, that's the only one I could find that had all of the components. Grace, truth, love, choice, uh, justice, all of it. Okay, which means that God has paid the price so that it's not about the actions, it is about the intent, which means I can be saved even, even as I mess up, which is what we've been talking about. Last week I talked about how, um, what if you had a car that had, you know, whatever, uh, things had been arranged so that that car could never wreck or be in a wreck. I mean, you could drive blindfolded and you would never have a wreck. Well, if you were convinced that was the truth, then how worried would you be about having a wreck in that car? Well, my guess is after, you know, a week, a month, a few months, when you finally come to, hey, I really believe this thing can't wreck. We've had several close calls. I had one guy who was driving straight for me and I thought, it's all over, but the car moved without my control and avoided the, I mean, you would get to a place where you would never worry about having a wreck as long as you were driving that car. Well, I believe the same applies to us. Our life has been arranged if you are in a state of grace, follower of Jesus, love him, son of God, whatever, your life has been arranged where you can't wreck. You win. And it's not, and it's not we'll see if you win 30 years from now, it's you, you win right now. And that applies to 30 years from now as well, all right? All, all fear is worry and stress-based and it's supposed to only happen if you're in a life-threatening emergency, okay? Once a year, maybe, for 10, 15 minutes, and then you're right back out of it. For most of us, we are living in stress. We're living in worry, okay? Well, that comes from fear, not from love, all right? And it is all about pain. We're worried about some possible pain 
in the future. The problem is it's not about pain. It's about your heart. The battle is for your heart. Everybody's going to have pain. You've got pain in your heart. You've got pleasure in your heart and everything in between. But it's about choosing love rather than fear. Matthew 16 says, Take up your cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe this is your cross, or at least one of them. Your cross is that 75% of the thoughts you have, you would lie about rather than say what they are because you're ashamed, embarrassed, or think people wouldn't like you if they knew that, okay? Well, as long as you just keep allowing that, it's gonna keep happening and it'll creep up to 76%, 78%, 80% because each generation adds its own new stuff and then passes it along. So we're getting more and more junked up as we go, all right? Um, so when we choose fear, even if we know we're not choosing it, okay, we are denying love, which is the thing that can control the heart in a positive way and get us out of this vicious hamster wheel cycle, okay? We talked last week about how I believe God does not choose punishment for anyone. He chooses love for everyone. He desires that all would come to repentance and he paid the price for every single person. If someone ends up in hell, whatever that is, I believe it's because they choose punishment. They are choosing fear instead of love. They are choosing to go against their conscience which is the law that's written on their heart. That's Romans 1. Romans 1 says, those who have not heard the gospel will be judged by how they obey the law that is written on the heart, which is their conscience. Okay? Now, the context of that passage indicates, at least scholars say, that no one can keep that law right. No one. And that's basically what it's saying. You can't do this. No one can. All right? But, 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 what are you choosing? Day in, day out. Moment in, moment out. When the 75% of negative thoughts come, what are you doing with them? Okay? Uh, that secret that you have, that you will never tell a living soul like 75 plus percent of us have. Are you just locking that away? And, and I'm, not, I'm just not going to think about it. La, 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 la. Well, you know what? That doesn't fix it. That lets it become infected and just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay. Let, let, let's try to define another thing. Let's try to define sin. Okay. Uh, we've been talking about sin forever, all right? What is it? Well, it literally means to miss the mark. That's an archery metaphor, okay? Like you're shooting for the bullseye, but you miss it, okay? Well, let me ask you a question first. When you think uh, someone is learning to shoot a bow and arrow, 
and they're trying to shoot the bullseye and you know they miss it goes into one of the other colors whatever do you think they absolutely just melt down because they missed the circle no 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 typically and, and I've, I've done that myself and I've I've been a part of it with other people like an archery class in college and stuff like that no it's oh, okay I missed and the, and the guy says okay uh, change how you're holding it here uh, pull it back a little bit farther let your breath out first but he's not yelling and screaming I can't believe you missed the bullseye you are just worthless you are no good just leave the class right now just if you're gonna miss the bullseye just no of course he doesn't say that and, and, and people who are learning to shoot like we're learning to live our life they don't do that either it's okay a little more this way, a little more that way. But we do sometimes do that about sin. Well, Satan tricks us into doing the sin, and then after we do it, we beat ourselves over the head with guilt and shame, sometimes for way, way longer than all the sin stuff took, okay? So, what is sin? Sin is to think something that is a sin. That's what Jesus said, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. You've heard it's wrong to commit adultery. You've heard it's wrong to murder. You've heard it. I'm telling you, if you think it in your heart, you've done it. Okay, so to think a sinful thought in your heart can be sin. And the research says 75% of the thoughts we have we would lie about rather than saying what they actually were. Well, guess what? Maybe not all, but a lot of those 75% are sins. Those thoughts we have. Alright? Okay? Let's think about it. Let's think about it. Okay? I get up in the morning and I am... Uh, going to get dressed and uh, the, the clothes that I wanted to wear were dirty so I can't wear them so I think ah oh, shoot or maybe I think a cuss word or say a cuss word or whatever but anyway it's it's kind of a blaming myself or blaming hope for not doing the laundry or something is that a sin maybe it is so ding sin all right uh, then I'm getting ready to leave the house and I'm late and I'm running behind and the trash is overflowing. I've used this example before. And I do a mental thing, okay? Uh, like the like one bird on one like one angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other. I do kind of a back and forth. Okay, it's my job to take out the garbage. So I should take out the garbage. But I don't want to take out the garbage. And I'm running late, and that'll make me more late, and I might spill something on me, and on and on and on, all right? So now I'm in a battle, okay? The battle is for your heart, all right? So now I'm in the battle. I should take out the garbage, but I don't want to take out the garbage, all right? So what do I do? To me, everything depends on what I do at that moment, what I choose at that moment. Okay, example one. 
Uh, I'm gonna not take out the garbage. And I don't feel good about that. I know it's my job. I know I should do it. Maybe I'll get back home and hope will not have taken it out, but I know that's probably not gonna happen. What's gonna happen is in less than an hour, she's gonna need to throw something away and is gonna think it's Alex's job to take out the garbage and he didn't do it. So now I have to do something he was supposed to do, which interferes with my day. Now she's thinking sinful thoughts toward me when maybe I didn't intend that. Maybe my intention was good. Now in, in the example I gave you, it wasn't. I decided not to take the garbage out. But it could have been my intention was, you know what, Hope is gonna be out almost all day. I don't think she'll even notice it. And I'll get home before she does and I'll take it out and all's well. Now, if, if that's what I was thinking, that's not sin. That, that's a positive intention, at least if I really believe that. But if, if my intention is, no, I think chances are she's probably gonna notice it, probably gonna make her mad, probably blame me, probably put us like this, even if it's only for 10 or 15 minutes, and I'm probably gonna hear about it in a negative way later, but I'm still gonna to choose to do what I want and not take it out. Now that's a sin. So what I do with that thought determines sin, I believe, or not sin. So what am I supposed to do with it? Scripture tells me, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought, all right? Now, I don't know that that means if I look at this beige carpet that I need to take that thought captive because there's maybe nothing negative at all there. But I think what it means is I'm always supposed to be observing my internal life and paying more attention to that even than my external life because from the internal comes the external, all right? From the heart comes the thoughts and feelings and emotions and chemicals and brain state and all of that, all right? So I'm supposed to take every thought captive. So that means when I look at that garbage and I start having this, you know, what the angel says and what the demon says and trying to determine which I'm gonna do, I've gotta take that thought captive, give it to, to, give it to Christ, even if, even if it only takes two seconds and I do it in my mind. All right, Father, please help me. I, I'm being tempted right now to do something that I think is not the best thing, the loving thing for me to do. Please help me. Give me dying grace. Give me garbage grace right now, all right? And then wait on the Lord to exchange my strength for His. So even though I'm late, I'm gonna wait right here at this garbage can to see if God will do something in me, and all of a sudden, my thoughts change where I don't mind taking the garbage as much. Or I do mind it, but I still get myself to do it. Well, maybe that's God's strength giving me the extra strength to do it, where before I really didn't want to, but now I'm doing it, okay? That's gonna be different with each person and with each situation. But I tried this myself. And as I go through the day, it is absolutely unbelievable how many negative thoughts I have. 
And, and I've asked my clients, and I've asked friends, and I've asked my mentor, and I've asked uh, medical doctors, and all of them say they go through the exact same thing, which is a lot of my thoughts during the day could turn in a negative way. I go to the mall, the, the, probably the hardest issue of my entire life, sin-wise, has been lust, okay? So I go to the mall, and I'm, I'm faithful to hope. I mean, I really am, all right? But I go to the mall, and there's some beautiful girl dressed a certain way, and I look over, and before I even know what's happening, I'm thinking, oh, wow, she looks good. Well, I've got to take that thought captive. If I, if, if I don't, it's going to take my heart to the negative place, not the positive place. It's going to take my heart to sin, to fear, to anger, to self-interest, to what I want when I want. All right, which means I'm going to keep looking at her or I'm going to go even further and start imagining scenarios with her and me in my mind. All right, but it could be anything. It could be I look at a man and think in my mind, boy, is he the ugliest man I have ever seen. Well, I'm not going to say that, most likely. I mean, depending on... but. That is a judgment, and we're told, judge not, lest you be judged. Well, I just judged him in, in, a, in a negative way. Is that a sin? I believe it may very well be under Jesus's bar, which is if you think it, you've done it. All right? So, if I ever want to live my best life, if I ever want to be free and feel free, if I ever want to experience the best love, joy, and peace and identity and worth that I can, I've got to learn how this stuff works and start think, taking these 75% of negative thoughts and, and, and secret that I never want to tell a living soul, take them captive, give them to God, exchange my strength for His, exchange my will for that thing, for his will for that thing, and then let him give me dying grace or, or whatever he chooses. He may choose not to give me um, something to overcome this, because I need to learn something and struggle with it. But I've got to get in that mindset of those four things every day. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. My intention is for only good. I'm going to do my absolute best, and I'm going to help as many people as I can. And in order to do that, I've got to guard my heart above everything else, for from it flows the issues of life, which means I've got to take every thought captive. Because the 75% of negative thoughts, which could be sinful, are coming largely from there. Okay, let me go... Another place, what are the difference in feelings and emotions? I have people uh, ask me about this one all the time. And 99% and of people think they're the same thing. They're not. Feelings come from the heart. Emotions come from the conscious mind. Okay? So if you have a negative emotion, 
that means it's consistent with some negative thing happening in your circumstance, like someone being mean to you or someone um, almost causing you to be in a wreck in traffic or something, okay? But if you have a negative feeling, your circumstances may be completely fine, but you still feel negative inside. That is evidence that it is heart level, which means unconscious likely, and you don't know what's causing this rather than conscious circumstances. I'll give you an example. When Hope and I uh, first met and started dating, I was a youth minister, full-time youth minister. And we would have a lot of parties, you know, ate pizza like 11 times a week, it seemed like. But we were always having parties, okay? It absolutely blew me away that after we started dating, the first party that the youth group had, Hope was going to go because we were dating. And she knew about it about a week before the party. And she was terrified all week long. About what? About the party. She was terrified of going to the party. I mean, she was an extreme introvert. She was depressed. She was, I didn't know all of that then, okay? But she was, and that's where it was coming from. So to her to go to a party was like me going out here and digging a ditch. So her anxiety and worry started the day she knew the party was coming, but it got worse every day that we were getting close. And by the time the party came, man, she was almost a basket case. I was really worried about her. And she basically came in, sat in the corner and just sort of did this and smiled when someone talked to her, but hoped that no one would talk to her. Okay? Um, that's feeling. There was nothing threatening in her circumstances, okay? What, is a, is a, is a two-liter Coke gonna explode and the cat hit her in the head? And no, 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 no. There was nothing negative, nothing threatening, nothing that she needed to be afraid of, but she had a memory. She had, as we talked about last week, a red memory in her unconscious related to social occasions where she would be embarrassed, okay? That's what it was, all right? And until she healed that, going to almost any social thing was an absolute nightmare. Well, to get over that, she had to heal those red memories, which we did with the healing codes, and she's not been depressed since, okay? But you've got to do that same thing. You've got to take captive the thoughts of your heart. And how do you know that? Because they're inconsistent with your circumstances, just like Hope's party thing. Now, you may, it may be so normal for you to be afraid of going to parties, that uh, whatever your thing is, that was Hope's thing. But your thing may have become so normal to you that you don't really think it's anything wrong. Well, that's where you're gonna to have to go somebody to somebody that you love and trust and to pray and ask God to show you, do I have some areas in my life where I have negative feelings that are heart issues that I need for you to heal or 
to start working on healing with some tools that you have put into nature myself. Okay? But you are never going to live the life you want to live without healing those red memories that are in your heart that are causing the 75% negative thoughts, the secret that you'll never tell a living soul because you're afraid to, etc. Okay? All right. Um, there was a study done. Um, let me start a different place. A few years ago, and I may have mentioned this before, I apologize for the repetition, um, National Geographic did a special edition. I have it in my office uh, called The Owner's Manual for the Brain. Okay, that was the name of the National Geographic Special Edition. And the information in the Special Edition, the main point was a study. There were several studies, but the main one was this one where they found that one second before you make a significant decision, there's an electrical spike in the brain. An electrical spike in the brain. And when they followed that back, they found that the electrical spike was your unconscious mind, right brain, unconscious mind, mandating to your conscious mind what your decision would be. And it was not a request, it was not a suggestion, it's a command. And what they found is it's almost impossible just with your mind, conscious mind, will, and emotion, conscious intention, it's almost impossible to go against that. Which makes you almost like a puppet on a string. And um, The Atlantic did an article on this as well. And one of the most fascinating things, and I know I've mentioned this, is that the um, researchers on that study had serious conversations about never releasing their results. Which, if you know anything about researchers, they would never do. That's like their Super Bowl when they get published, okay? But they seriously thought about just burying this. Why? They thought the suicide rate would skyrocket, that people would become hopeless because they would feel like, I'm just a puppet on a string. I don't have any control over my own life. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's how so many people today are living because they don't understand how all this stuff works, and I didn't used to either, okay? But the 75% of negative thoughts that you would lie about and the secrets that you'll never tell a living soul because you're afraid to, those things are filling up your stress barrel and you're breaking at the weakest link. And for some people, that's physical. Like for me, in my 20s, it was acid reflux. For Hope, it was depression. For Dr. Ben Johnson, who I worked with for several years, it was Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. But Dr. Bruce Lipton says that's the only way you can get a disease. If you're under stress from a wrong belief in your heart that sends a signal and turns your stress on. And for most of us, we just live that way our whole life and are like the frog in the kettle. Okay, let me go one other place and then I'm gonna wrap this up. Um, 
I've been doing the, um, I told you at the start today that I was had some unbelievable thing happen with the key and string. I've been doing this for over 30 years, way before the healing codes, okay? Uh, back in college and early days of ministry, okay? And I told you last week, the test has always gone the same way, all right? And now I've had to work for that sometimes. There have been people who, at first, the key wouldn't move. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and watch last week. But as I worked with them, eventually it would start to move, and, you know, um, that's what would happen. Well, that was until yesterday. My son Harry, who's the one that does the postulates, the kind of distilled truth each week, Harry had been thinking about this all week since he saw me do it last week. And yesterday he came into my office and he said, hey dad, I want to try that key and string thing. I've got another idea about that. And I don't have any idea what he's talking about, but I'm thinking, well, you may think you've got another idea, but this works the same way 100% of the time, all right? So he puts the paper down. Actually, he didn't put a paper down. He put a, a little dot on the table and put his elbow down, held the key, and you know what happened? He imagined, he saw the key moving in his mind's eye, but the key did not move. And I coached him through the stuff as I had coached other people over the last 30 years. But when Harry did it yesterday, it still didn't move. So I'm thinking he's doing something wrong. I don't know what, but he must be moving his arm to, you know, keep it in the middle, which you're not supposed to do. Uh, once you set your elbow on the table, and have your hand like this, your arm, elbow, hand are now made of iron. They, you do not move them at all for any reason, okay? And I thought he must be moving his arm to keep it still, but he wasn't. You know how he did it? I gave you two commands last week when I demonstrated this. The first command was no matter what happens, don't move the key. Keep it still in the middle of the four numbers, okay? That's command number one. And do not remove that for any reason, all right? The second command is imagine, see in your mind's eye, the key moving from two to three, two to three, two to three, okay? Well, what Harry changed about it, he did both of those things, but he added something. You know what he did? I couldn't believe it. As soon as he told me this, I about fell on the floor. Because remember, I've been doing this for over 30 years with the same result, and what he did has never passed through my head to try one time even. He said, Dad, I added love to the first command. Oh, gosh! 
I added love to the first command. Meaning, when I was holding it still, to me, in my mind and heart, I went and connected to a love place, kind of like, okay, this is my dad asking me to do this, and the first command is don't move the string. So, if I'm gonna do what my dad's telling me to do, which would be the loving thing, to obey my dad, then I need to keep the string in the middle. But, once I start seeing it move, it's probably gonna move, which would be, in a way, sort of disobeying my dad. So he connected to his love for me and attached it to the first command. And even when he saw the key moving in his mind's eye, it didn't move. For the first time in over 30 years. It, with me, at least. Why? Why would, why would that change it? because love can control the heart. So even though 100% of the time when most people do it, your command is to keep it still but see it moving, well, image, imagery is right brain. That's not left brain. And remember, right brain and what it's connected to, by and large, is what is scripturally called the heart. So what Harry did with the first command was add love, which is a heart thing. And the conscience is in the heart. So he connected to the conscience and the, and the good, positive love programming of the heart. And that caused the heart to say no. We are in harmony with the mind saying, don't move the string, even though he's seeing it move. So yes, normally we would, the, the, him imaging it moving would override the conscious intention and cause it to move because he's attached this to love, which is programmed into the heart. The heart changes the action and says, no, keep it still because love is a part of that. Wow! The repercussions of that are enormous. If you add love to it in your life, it's going to turn it better. It's going to make it okay. It's going to activate the positive power of your heart. It's going to connect to your conscience and make you in harmony with the law that's written on your heart. It's going to put you in harmony with God because God is love. And when, you're, and when your heart and mind are in harmony, man, that's when miracles happen and you're like Superman. Okay? But the only way that can happen is love. Because your conscience is in the heart and your conscience is the law that's written on the heart. Okay? So you can't have a conscious intention that's fear or selfishness based and it be in harmony with the heart. It might be with some negative, in harmony with some negative memories in the heart, but it's not in harmony with the conscience programming and love that's in the heart. Alright? 
So the only way that can happen is if your conscious intention is for nothing but good only, nothing but love, and to do my best, and to help others, and to be in harmony and right with Jesus. Okay, now, what about, I mean, this is, this is a little key and string thing. I mean, maybe that's science, but it's kind of, you know, fun kid science. What about real science? Albert Einstein did an experiment in 1935 called Action at a Distance. Uh, most people call it spooky action at a distance. It was a thought experiment where they took two people who hardly knew each other, uh, just basically said, hi, how you doing? Then they separated them, hooked them up to uh, electroencephalograph and, uh, and heart rate variability, uh, galvanic skin response, um, all that sort of thing, basically a lie detector test, okay? Hooked both of them up to the same thing. Neither person knew what was happening with the, uh, excuse me, with the other. Then they took one person and they shone a pin light in their eyes. Or at least this is the metaphor Professor William Tiller from Stanford, the head of the physics department, my good friend, this is the way he explained it to me. Uh, shown a pin light in their eyes, which causes neurological activity to go crazy. So all those needles start going crazy when they shine the pin light. To the other person, they don't do anything. They're just laying there relaxing. The instant they shine the pin light in this person's eyes, the machines that the other person is connected to start going crazy. And they are exactly the same as what the instruments record for the person that they are shining the pin light in his eyes. They do it again, same result. Do it again, different people, farther away, no matter what, same result, all right? What's the point? The point is, in this realm of quantum physics or maybe even just spirituality, we have invisible umbilical cords to other people, so to speak. And in, 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 as crazy as it sounds, all right? And this is so strong, and this is what they found in the Einstein study, it's so strong that it can literally affect the physiology of the other person. It can put them into physiological stress or conceivably take them out of physiological stress based on my connection to you or your connection to me or me to Hope or Harry to George or whatever, all right? Um, they did another study in 1998. This was reported um, in a wonderful book called The Heart's Code by Dr. Paul Pearsall. This was done by the United States Department of Defense. And what they did is they scraped cells from the roof of the mouth of a subject, I believe it was someone in the military, and they put those cells in a test tube. Then they put the subject in a room with a television and they put the test tube with the person's cells in it way over in another room and the subject doesn't even know what they're doing or why they scraped the cells, they're just watching TV. And they, and they show them like super peaceful things like Little House on the Prairie. And the person has positive 
thoughts and emotions and feelings. Maybe they tear up a little bit or something. But anyway, it's, it's positive. The cells in the test tube are hooked up to exactly the same measuring machines as the person. And at the exact instant the person has those positive thoughts, emotions, feelings, physiological response, whatever, the person's cells in the test tube register the exact same activity. They keep doing the experiment with different people until they had gotten 50 miles away. The cells are 50 miles away from the subject and it's been five days since they scraped them from the roof of their mouth and they're still registering the exact same activity as the person at the exact same time. They show the person violent movies like The Terminator or something and the cells register the same violent physiological response that the person is having. It's absolutely unbelievable. Well, what are, the, what are the repercussions of that? I don't know all the repercussions of that. And I don't know if that's spiritual, quantum physics, both. I, I don't know. But, but I do know it's real. My mother um, used to tell me all the time, uh, my nickname was Dennis the Menace. I've already told you that. I got in trouble all the time. And one of the places I got in trouble a lot was church because I'd get so bored. And I'd start talking or, you know, fiddling with a little piece of paper or paper clip or something. And, and that was a big, big no-no. And my mom used to tell me that when I did that, she would focus real intensely her attention on the back of my neck and would think real intensely over and over and over, Alex, turn around. Alex, turn around. Alex, turn around. And, and this is over like decades, okay? As God is my witness, she told me she never did that, that I did not turn around. Now she said sometimes it would take five minutes, sometimes it would take five seconds, but I always turned around and then she would say, be quiet, be still, don't cause a ruckus, okay? Uh, you want a better one? Uh, one of my best friends growing up, his name's John Blahakis, he's a lawyer in Atlanta now, wonderful guy. And when he was a little kid and he and I were best friends, when this happened, his parents went on a little vacation weekend and he was staying at home with his sister. But his sister was locked in her bedroom listening on headphones to her new record album, okay? And she couldn't hear John yelling, trying to yell for help. John, being the adventurous young man that he was, stuck his head between the banisters of the stairway and he couldn't get his head back out. So he was, you know, like this, turning blue, having difficulty breathing, starting to feel faint. He was trying to yell, ew, ew, but, but his sister couldn't hear him. Well, on the way to their destination, his mother all of a sudden sat up in her seat in the car turned to her husband, George, 
and said, George, turn around. We've got to go home. Johnny's in trouble. And George, her husband, says, what in the world? And she wouldn't, she wouldn't have anything. George, turn around. Johnny's in trouble. Get home as fast as you can. Well, that tone of voice got him. He turned around, they went back, got there, saved John's life. Uh, I don't know how close it was, but anyway, saved. how did she know that? Action at a distance. Okay? And, and that's not unusual. All of you have heard stories like that, where there's a, a mom in New York having lunch with a friend, and all of a sudden, she, she, Jane's in trouble. Jane lives in California. How does she know she's in trouble? Picks up the phone and Jane was just in a car wreck, okay? These things are documented. Now, it's not every day, every person, but this is real, okay? And I believe it's something that God built into us that we can use and He will work through it and it will take us more, more and more to our best possible life. Okay, so you have to take every thought captive. There, there's no other way. One of, one of the things that I've recommended as an intervention that has worked wonderful for, for me and my clients is to turn every negative, sinful-based, or potentially sin-based thought into a prayer. Okay? Every one. So if I have the thought, boy, that man looks ugly. Oh, Father, please forgive me. That may be the nicest guy in the world, and, and, and that's judgmental for me to say that to someone else. He's probably attractive, okay? Or the, the beautiful woman. Oh, Father, please, please help me. Forgive me for that. I, I, I'm sorry. Please take my mind to somewhere what is true, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise. Let me change the channel. Help me. Or you change the channel. Let me wait on you and exchange my strength for yours. Your thoughts in this situation instead of mine. Your will in this situation instead of mine. Um, and it really works. Now, it'll drive you crazy at first because you're having to turn so many thoughts into a prayer. But what I've observed is that typically if you do that consistently at about 40 days or six weeks, it's almost like your unconscious mind says, okay, okay, okay. We know what you're going to do. You're going to turn it into a prayer. We'll, we won't send it. We'll send you a positive. And those things significantly change. Now, not to no negative thoughts, but maybe it goes from 75 to 25, which makes a night and day difference, okay? So, so that's, that's what I wanted to get across today, is add love to whatever you do. And love can control the heart which is, which is in control of everything else. And God is love. The Holy Spirit, the very first fruit of the Spirit, love. Holy Spirit's in me. Manifest that love, joy, peace, etc. Jesus and I are one, the mystery of the ages. Jesus is the king of love, all right? High priest now, interceding for me continually, okay? So, 
add love to whatever you do. All right. And the last thing I wanted to say is I know in these teachings, they're long, they tend to go deep, they're controversial, they're, you know, all this sort of thing. But I want to be sure you know this. You don't have to know and understand all this stuff to be pleasing to God or to be right with Jesus, uh, uh, saved in a state of grace. You don't have to. So what is a have to in order to be saved? What is a have to in order to be right with God? What is a have to in order to be in a state of grace? Well, I think it might very well be Jesus, Lord, Savior. I think it's that simple. Or, or if you want to take it one step further, how about this? Jesus plus being in harmony with your conscience, the law that's written on the heart, equals a state of grace. You don't have to know all this complicated stuff that we're saying. The reason, it, it, then why am I going through it? Because I believe if you do understand it, you can participate in this life in the way God made you to work, as opposed to going through your life in a way that you were not designed to work. Okay? We're not designed to work on fear and self-interest. That's when we malfunction. When we choose love, God, the present moment in love, giving up the end result to God, that's when we function correctly. And our cells open, the stress goes away, the immune system comes up. Okay? But... Uh, so, 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 if this is confusing you, if this is frustrating you, I don't totally understand it all, okay? Well, then just forget it. Just quit watching me, all right? And say, okay, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to add love to everything I do. That works. Okay. So, um... That's it for this week. Now, next week, I'm going to continue talking about stuff that's deep and controversial and all that. But just don't ever forget that this, that, that's really the only have to. And, and then, yes, I believe, if that's true, Jesus, you're in a state of grace, you're saved, you've got the golden ticket, you're free. Um, but if you're still in seek pleasure, avoid pain... You can be saved in a state of grace, but it's stolen a lot of your life away. As opposed to maybe understanding the way God made us to work, choosing the high road, getting the, your internal state over here into the positive, love, joy, peace, instead of over here, anger, fear, worry, selfishness, etc. Okay? Um, so, in my thinking, all this stuff we're talking about is sort of the instruction book of you. Doesn't mean you have to understand it to watch, to watch the TV or to get the radio to play, but 
you're going to have a lot better experience with it long term if you operate it according to the instructions. Well, you come with a right way to function and a wrong way to function as well. And it's in Scripture, but Scripture harmonizes with what God made in nature. And uh, for the heart to be the controlling factor. So add love to whatever you do, and love can control the heart. Thank you so very much. Have a wonderful, blessed day.